0: And for the adults. Or, on holiday, we also took the kids fishing. There was a little fishing lake at our campsite. And again, things started off great. There were high expectations, anticipation levels were very, very high. But the longer we waited, and the longer the fish chose not to come, well, it wasn't long before the questions and complaints started. One of our children, who will remain unnamed, is said to have said, are there even any fish in this stupid lake? (laughs) Now, these are fairly superficial illustrations. But we know that often in life, we find ourselves in a place of waiting. And when that waiting goes on longer than expected, it can be really hard. For example, when we have health struggles and we're waiting for an appointment, Or when we have test results that we're waiting on and they're delayed. It can be agony. Or when we're on a long waiting list for surgery. Or perhaps your waiting could be when you're praying and praying about something and God just doesn't seem to answer our prayers. We can be waiting on lots of things in life. You could be waiting this morning on... A romantic relationship coming for you. You could be waiting for a new job. You could be waiting on a child you'd love to have. You could be waiting for a situation that is very difficult in your life to improve, and you're praying hard about it. But as the waiting goes on, and nothing seems to change, questions can start to arise in your mind. Is God really present with me in this? Does he care? Has he forgotten me? have I done something wrong? These periods of waiting in our lives are no accident. God has designed periods of waiting to be part of every Christian's life. What is encouraging for us is that we know he works in our waiting. And like the caterpillar in the cocoon, the place of waiting is a place of growth and formation, but it can be very hard. Since waiting is something we will all experience, the question of how to wait well on God as a Christian should be something we have all given careful thought to. And to help us with that, this is a subject we're focusing on this morning. How can we keep trusting the Lord and honoring him in our times of difficult waiting? And to help us answer that question, we're turning back to Habakkuk, whom we left off, as has already been said last week, in his own place of waiting. In chapter 1 last week, we saw Habakkuk crying out to God in his frustration over what he viewed as the inactivity of God in the face of moral decay around him. Habakkuk asked at the beginning of chapter 1 verse 2, How long, Lord, will I pray and you won't hear? Why do you idly look at wrong? After this prayer, we saw God's answer and explanation of how he was actually at work on a higher level than Habakkuk could ever have conceived. God said he was raising up the Chaldeans as an instrument of judgment for the sin of his people, that great Babylonian empire, also called the Chaldean empire. God was raising them up to be an instrument of judgment to deal with the sins of his people. But then we saw from chapter 1 verse 12 going forward, Habakkuk responded to God with a second complaint. He was like, God, you're going to do what? You're going to use the wicked Babylonians to accomplish your purposes? You are holy and eternal and pure, Habakkuk said. How can you use that sinful nation to accomplish your purposes without getting your hands dirty, morally speaking? How can you use the Babylonians to accomplish your purposes without compromising your holiness? Are you just going to let the Babylonians run rampant forever without ever judging them for their wickedness? And that's where we left off last week with Habakkuk waiting to hear how God would answer his second set of questions. And what we're going to do is we look at his response and posture in chapter 2, verse 1, and then God's response to him in verses 2 to 4. What we're going to do is draw out three lessons to help us trust the Lord when we are in a difficult time of waiting. Because that seems to be what this passage is in our Bibles to help us with. We see Habakkuk's posture and God's response. And in this just short four verses, There are so many lessons to help us keep trusting and honoring the Lord when we are in those difficult times of waiting. So, lesson one. In a time of difficult waiting, seek understanding from God with open ears and an open heart. In a time of difficult waiting, seek understanding from God With open ears and an open heart. In his place of confusion, Habakkuk in chapter 2, verse 1, adopts the posture of one who wants to hear from God. He's just heard really hard news, he's been shaken by it. His nation will be invaded, many will die in a horrible act of aggression from the Chaldean army. And Habakkuk cannot understand how God is being consistent with his character in what he's doing. He's perplexed and perturbed, and what does he do? He slows down, and he turns to the Lord in search of hope. We could summarize his actions in verse 1 with what we learned back in school, or I learned this back in school, when I learned the Green Cross code. Does anyone remember? I don't know if anyone's at my age and stage. In my day, there was a little squirrel called Tufty. Anyone? Some of you, yeah? Tufty the squirrel helped us learn road safety with the words, stop, look, and listen. First in verse 1, Habakkuk stops in his tracks. Look at verse 1. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower. Now, that's the picture of the watchman waiting for the messenger to come from a far-off land. In our times of confusion and waiting, we often think it's a time for action. I've got to get stuff done. And yes, there can be times, of course, where we need to jump to action But Habakkuk realizes that the first thing he needs to do is slow down to hear from God. Next, after stopping and slowing himself down, he looks and he listens. Look at what he says. I will look out to see what he will say to me. Now, that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? You might expect it to say, I'll seek to hear what he will say to me. But he says, I'm going to look out to see what he will say to me. Now, we use this language, don't we? In fact, earlier this week, I was speaking to a woman from Balaamena. And I explained something to her. And she said, oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. That's an expression we use to say, I understand. I see what you're saying. Habakkuk is turning to the Lord he is seeking understanding. I'm looking with eyes open and open heart to see and hear what God will say to me. He recognizes that his time of confusion is not first a time for speaking, but first a time for listening. He wants to hear from God in his confusion. He wants to have a sense of rest and understanding, knowing what God is doing. Habakkuk Is here in a place like Jacob when Jacob was wrestling with God. Habakkuk is wrestling with God in prayer. I wonder, have you ever done this? He's not going to let God go until he comes away with the blessing of insight and understanding. There's a couple of lessons for us here just in Habakkuk's posture and approach to God before God in his confusion. First, from Habakkuk we learn that in our times of difficult waiting, we should turn to the Lord with what we could call expectant faith. Expectant faith is the soil in which God's Word bears fruit in our lives. We don't approach God in our confusion with low expectations, with a kind of whats the point in even trying attitude. Well, I know I'm supposed to pray, so I'll pray. No, we to come with an expectant heart. Is that not what Jesus taught us to do in the Sermon on the Mount when he said in Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, to the one who knocks it will be opened. Your Father who is in heaven will give good things to those who ask him. Now as we'll see, the answers don't always come on our timeline or according to our prescription of what we think God should do. But this expectant faith is something we need to rediscover. That we genuinely pray and expect God to do something. But here's a second lesson we can learn from Habakkuk here. This expectant faith must also be accompanied by a submissive and open heart. This brings me back to what I just said about how we can prescribe to God what we think the answers to our prayers should be often, and, of course, the timeline he should answer on. Sometimes we know what we want God to do and how we want God to answer, but the problem is we can almost focus on that so much that we close our heart to any other outcome. And then we get disappointed. When God doesn't answer in the way that we think is best, we feel disappointed and we lose heart. But this is where we must recall Habakkuk's lesson from chapter 1. We must always relate to God humbly, recognizing the limitations of our finite understanding. My daughter Grace thinks it would be best for her to have free reign on the treat box in our house. She's convinced it would be good for her to have free reign on that treat box. And so when Lindsay and I say no, she feels miffed. But surely, our response that she doesn't like is actually a kind response. She just doesn't see it yet. Our Heavenly Father works on a higher plane than we can understand. His ways are governed always by His goodness. And we must open our hearts to His ways that are good even when they leave us feeling short-changed. There's a lovely old hymn, God Moves in a Mysterious Way, and one of the lines in the hymn would say this, Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, feeble sense, but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence, He hides a smiling face. You've got to believe that. In his difficult time of waiting, Habakkuk turns to the Lord and he seeks him for understanding with open ears and an open heart. He reminds me of the disciples in John 6. Do you remember whenever loads of people were leaving Jesus because of the difficulty of his teaching and Jesus looks at Simon Peter and what does he say? Do you want to go too? And what does Simon Peter say? Lord, to whom else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. That's what Habakkuk is saying, essentially, in verse 1. Lord, where else can I go? I'm looking to you for hope, even when I don't understand what you're doing. So that's our first lesson. In your difficult time of waiting, turn to the Lord and seek understanding with an open ear and an open heart. Listen carefully. Lesson 2. In a time of difficult waiting wait patiently on the Lord, knowing that he is working in your waiting. Wait patiently on the Lord, knowing that he is working in your waiting. In verse 2, the Lord answers Habakkuk and tells him to prepare to receive a vision from the Lord. Habakkuk is to be ready to write down what the Lord reveals and to make it plain on writing tablets so that, the Lord says, he may run who reads it. Now, that is simply an expression that means it is to be clear and easy to understand by those coming after you and reading it. So God is going to reveal his purposes to Habakkuk, and Habakkuk is to write them down so that those reading it in the future will benefit from it. Now we'll come back to that thought in a moment but the second thing habakkuk is told in verse 3 is that the fulfillment of this vision awaits an appointed time set by god god's going to reveal to habakkuk a vision and the timing of that vision it awaits an appointed time set by God. God says it hastens to the end, or we could say it speaks of the end. It points to the end. It may seem slow in coming to you, the Lord says, but it will surely come at my appointed time. Then from verse 4 to verse 20, we're going to be looking at most of that next week. The vision is recorded by Habakkuk as indicated By the beginning of verse 4, the word behold, or if you're reading the NIV, see. And as we'll see more fully next week, the vision that Habakkuk is given is that the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, they're also known as God's instrument of judgment, they will one day face their own judgment for their sinful pride and rebellion against God. God is saying to Habakkuk one day, I will liberate my people from the heartache and oppression they are experiencing under the oppression of Babylon. Until that day, however, Habakkuk, my people, you're going to have to learn to wait patiently for that appointed day. Now, we today, who are passing through various hardships we don't understand, we are called to do the same. We are to wait patiently on the Lord, who will in time bring all of our hardships to an end. There is a day coming when the Lord will return, and all oppression, pain, and injustice will cease. All wrongs will be righted. All injustices will be put right. But until that day, we are to wait patiently and to strive to live faithfully. Now, there are a couple more truths in this section that I want to draw out here to help us in our time of waiting. The first thing we learn here from what God says to Habakkuk is that in our times of difficulty and waiting, God has a good purpose for us, and he has set an expiry date on our hardships. In our afflictions, it is comforting to know that though it doesn't feel like it, God is in control, and he will use our trials to serve our good. He has appointed a time for our pains, and he has appointed a day when they will come to an end. He is at work always for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose." So in our times of difficulty and waiting, settle this in your heart. God is sovereign, God is good, and God has a good plan, even in this. Second lesson, if God's purpose seems slow in coming about to you, we are to keep waiting, knowing that his purposes are sure. The Lord says in verse 3, If my good ends seem slow in coming, keep waiting. They will surely come. You see, God doesn't deal with ifs and maybes with respect to his purposes. He has a sure purpose for your life. And the trials he ordains as part of your life. There's never a moment where God's like, Oh, hang on, I got that wrong. Let's go back. He has a sure and steady purpose for your life, for your pains, for your trials, for the silence. But here are a few things to bear in mind when those periods of waiting are extended, when you feel like it is slow in coming about. Here's a few things that might help you. First, remember God doesn't count time the way we do. Psalm 90 verse 4 for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it's past or as a watch in the night or as Peter said in 2 Peter 3:8 the lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness as some count slowness god is never behind time he's never slow Everything God does, he does at the perfect time. So remember, as you're waiting and things do seem slow, first, right, God doesn't count time the way I do. Second, remember, God is not inactive in our waiting. He's not inactive in our waiting. He's working in our waiting. It's not like, right, I get through this time of waiting, and then we get back to work where God's at work in my sanctification. He's not inactive in your time of waiting. He's working in our waiting. Remember earlier in the introduction, I mentioned the caterpillar. Well, its transformation happens in a place of waiting. Behind the mystery of the cocoon, the caterpillar waits as transformation happens. It seems slow to the outside observer. It seems like nothing is happening, but everything is happening. That ugly little worm-like creature is being given new wings. Now you think of your time of waiting. It might look like God is inactive. It might look like nothing's happening. But everything is happening. There's a beautiful hymn that captures this well. Sovereign over us. You are working in our waiting. You're sanctifying us. When beyond our understanding, you're teaching us to trust. Your plans are still to prosper. You have not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. You're faithful forever, perfect in love. You're sovereign over us. And if he's not all of your pain, everything is far worse. There's no design in it if he's not over it. Remember, God is not inactive in our waiting. Third thing to remember, if your time of waiting is prolonged, God's word is given to you to help comfort you in your time of waiting. In verse two, this is what I said I'd come back to. Habakkuk was to write his book so that those coming after him would benefit from it. Here we are benefiting from it right now. Last week, we saw that all Scripture has been given to instruct and encourage us and to fuel our hope. So in that time of prolonged waiting, God has designed His Word to be an instrument of comfort for you. You can comfort your heart with the truth of his promises, the promises of his word. And here's one I turn to, and you know this, I turn to this time and time again when I'm confused and I don't understand what God is doing. It's Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And you just,
1: Take that
0: when you feel overwhelmed. In faith, receive from him. So, that's our second lesson from God's initial response to Habakkuk. Our first lesson, in that time of difficult waiting, we turn to the Lord and seek understanding with open ears and an open heart. Second lesson, in a time of difficult waiting, wait patiently knowing that the Lord is working in our waiting. And now our third and final lesson, in a time of difficult waiting, resolve in your heart to walk by faith and not by sight. Verse 4 is the key verse in the book of Habakkuk that presents two alternative ways to live our lives. First, Habakkuk is told to behold those whose souls are puffed up in pride and self-sufficiency. He says their soul, God says their soul is not upright within them. Literally means their soul is never at rest. Habakkuk is to behold a group of people who are proud, puffed up, and their soul is never at rest. That is the prelude to the vision God is going to give Habakkuk about the judgment coming on the Babylonians. That is a verse initially giving us a description of the Babylonians. But it is also speaking of anyone who chooses to try to make their way through this fallen world in their own strength and might. Behold, a category of people, God is saying to Habakkuk, who just Go at the way of pride. I'll do it in my own strength. I'll be puffed up and I'll do it my way. But contrasting this, we get the second half of verse 4. Another group of people. The righteous who live by faith. This is the key truth that Habakkuk is to learn from God and that changes Habakkuk's complaints into confidence in God. He is to learn to trust God in his times of difficult waiting even when he can't discern what God is doing. What is the controlling principle that should govern each of our lives as we pass through life in this fallen world? It is our faith. I was in Specsavers recently. My eyes are deteriorating a little. And uh, if any of you have ever had an eye test, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But for those that have avoided that, let me describe it. You sit in a chair, and they put their little thing on the wall, and you have to read to the lowest line you can. And then they put this big machine in front of you, and they slot in lenses, and they're like, number one or number two? And you're sort of looking at it going, I don't know. And then for some reason, you guess. (laughs) And then they go number three or four. And they keep doing that until the lenses get clicked in that enable you to see clearly. Our faith is like those lenses that enable us to see clearly. We put our faith glasses on and we are to view everything in our lives and in our world through the glasses of faith. You don't look at the state of the world and then try to understand God. Working back from what you see in the world to God. No, you start by looking first at God and then you view all of your life and all of your circumstances through the lens of your faith in who God is and what he has said in his word. You view everything through the lens of faith. Another way to say this, don't interpret God's goodness by looking first at your circumstances, then back at God. Interpret your circumstances by looking first at God, and then back at your circumstances through the lens of faith in his goodness. Or as the Apostle Paul put it so well in 2 Corinthians 5-7, we are the people who must learn to walk by faith and not by sight. The Lord says to Habakkuk, the righteous will live by faith. This text is one of those golden strands that runs right through the Bible and holds it all together. Abraham was counted righteous by his faith, and by that faith he lived. Paul picks up this very passage in Habakkuk 2.4 in Romans 1.17 and in Galatians 3.11 and he says, the righteous shall live by faith. And what he says is that is the great gospel announcement that eternal life comes through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteous shall experience life not by works, not by pride, not by merit going in my own strength, but by trusting in Christ. And in Hebrews 10.38, the writer to the Hebrews picks up Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4, and he speaks of the hope we hold as Christians, because we know that one day Jesus will return and all injustice will cease. The writer says, yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but the righteous shall live by faith. And then what does the writer to the Hebrews do? He defines faith in Hebrews 11.1. If you're saying, well, What is faith? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Do you ever in your heart have doubts where you're like, is it all real? Faith is assurance of the things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Then the writer goes on to say, without faith it is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I think what we learned there is that faith's object is the goodness of God's character, the goodness of God's works, and the goodness of God's promises. That is the object of faith. So you're you're saying the righteous will live by faith. Faith in what? In the character of God, in the good purposes of God, and in all the promises of God. So when we're in a place of difficult waiting, we resolve to walk by faith, not sight. So let's think about how this would make a difference to our lives. Well, when sight Looks at circumstances and says, God doesn't care. Faith picks up the language of 1 Peter 4 and says, He cares for me. Do you remember that passage? Cast all your cares on Him because He cares for you. So, sight would say, You're in a period of waiting. God is not even listening. Satan will get in your ear and say, God doesn't even care. Look at your circumstances look at them. Is
1: God there?
0: And you say, yeah, but I don't walk by sight. I walk by faith. And he has said he cares for me. And that's it. That settles it. I'm walking by faith, not by sight. Let's continue to progress a few things through this rubric of walking by faith and not by sight. When sight says he doesn't hear my prayer, faith says his ear is attentive to my cry. When sight says there's no good design in this, faith says all things work together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. When sight says I'm too sinful for God to love me, God would never accept me, faith hears the voice of Jesus say, whoever come to me, I will never cast away. When sight says getting the money for your building project is impossible, faith says all things are possible for God. When sight says, I'll play it safe. Faith says, get out of the boat. When sight says, be cynical. Faith says, be a person of hope. When sight seeks vengeance, faith says, it is mine to avenge, says the Lord. I will repay. When sight says, give up. Faith says, abound with hope. When sight says, grab control. Faith says, surrender. When sight says, I'm broken. Faith says, I can make you whole. When sight says, curse God and die, Faith says, even though he slay me, yet I will trust him. When sight says, I'll be condemned because of sin, faith says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life sets you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Is this faith the controlling principle in your life? That is the question that the book of Habakkuk asks us to answer. So there we have it. Three lessons to help us trust God in the hard times. Seek understanding with open ears and open heart. Wait patiently on the Lord knowing that He is working in your waiting. And resolve to walk by faith and not by sight. You say, Lord, I am going to receive by faith the assurance of what I'm hoping for and the conviction of the things I don't see. Even though the circumstances might scream something else, I have a conviction, and it is your good. Always good. Always good. Let's close with the words of this beautiful hymn. It's called The Perfect Wisdom of Our God. O grant me wisdom from above to pray for peace and to cling to love and teach me humbly to receive the sun and rain of your sovereignty. Each strand of sorrow has a place within this tapestry of grace. So through the trials, I'll choose to say your perfect will in your perfect way. Let's pray. And Father, we hear those words on the lips of our Lord Jesus in Gethsemane. Your perfect will, Father, in your perfect way. May your will be done. If ever we need a demonstration of one who practiced walking by faith and not sight, we see it in Jesus as he was handed over to be betrayed and crucified. And yet for the joy set before him, he endured the cross because he trusted, Father, in your good purposes. He walked by faith and not sight. Because at the cross, sight said, what a failure. But faith says, what glory, what victory. And Father, we pray that you would help us to be those who learn to trust you, even when we can't discern what you're doing, and in those periods of difficult waiting that can seem so torturous, help us to know you're working in our waiting, sanctifying us, and that your timing is always perfect. So, Father, please help us to surrender and to have those open and humble hearts before you. But, Lord, build into us a faith that cannot be shaken. Strengthen us. Help us put our roots down and that those lenses would be fixed firmly in place so that we would view everything, not through the ever-changing and uncertain circumstances around us, but through the unchanging truths and promises of what we know about you. For Father, you are the God who has sent your Son into this world to save the lost. So we know that is your character, a self-giving, loving, gracious and compassionate God. And you do not change. So help us to trust you, that you know what you're doing, to surrender to you, and even to know with joy, that you're at work accomplishing good things through those times of difficult waiting. I just pray especially for someone sitting here today, and they have felt that that they needed this message. May they hear your word to them, and may they take it and run with it. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. But we're going to respond with a hymn that really captures the truths we've been reflecting on this morning. By faith, we see the hand of God. Let's stand together and sing.
1: Fathers from the earth, with the power of the promise in their hearts, of the hope.
0: you for the hope we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. For though sight may say despair, because of Jesus, faith says there's hope. Because he lives, there's always hope. And now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore.